You're listening to another episode of the Beulah Girl Podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in. This is the Beulah Girl Podcast, and I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. I'm so glad that you've tuned in. I'm starting a brand new series with this episode, Joy in the Midst of Suffering. I'm really excited to be looking today at 1 Peter, which we will get to in a moment. If you're tuning into the podcast for the first time, generally when I get a series going, I try to um, upload episodes weekly. However, sometimes, especially this year, I have been, there are some weeks that I'm just not able to get to them right on Saturday and have them uploaded then, which I generally aim for. So I'm relaxing that a little bit as I'm going into the new year. I will have several episodes out, but they may not be exactly on a Saturday like they haven't been in the past. And I apologize for any of those of you who have kind of been waiting expectantly in past series and thinking, okay, this this came out on a Monday instead of a Saturday. What's going on here? Again, it's been a little more challenging for me this year, being a stay-at-home mom, getting out everything exactly on a certain day. So I'm relaxing that just a little bit, but I will have out several within a month and you can catch those on SoundCloud or simply follow the blog, Twitter, Facebook, BeulahGirl.com to get all of the latest episodes. Trials are those in our life that can be huge. They can be the cancer diagnosis. They can be the death in the family, a relationship fallout, but nonetheless, even small everyday trials can irritate us. Things like an appliance breaking down or a note from school saying our child isn't behaving well, or just simply the everyday stresses that pile up, things not working properly, you know, the hose uh, not not uh, rolling up the right way, or certain things not working, the faucet dripping, the mattress sagging, the hot water taking so long to come on or turning off always in the middle of our shower so we can't enjoy a long hot shower. I mean, just the small minor inconveniences that build up and can really wear us down. At times when we're dealing with multiple trials, we can literally feel like we're drowning in a sea of trials, whether that be small, petty, little minor inconveniences that just build up day after day, or it can be a huge trial we're currently walking through. We're, we're, we're literally feeling like we're drowning. We can attribute trials to the fact that we live in a fallen world. We certainly have the inconveniences that we do because we live in a world that's not perfect. People are going to disappoint us. Relationships are going to fail. Things are just going to break and not work sometimes. It can be really irritating because we have in our minds an ideal of how things should be and life doesn't live up to those expectations. We can also attribute trials to Satan. Satan is going to actively work against us to prevent us from becoming all that God wants us to be. And he's going to throw curveballs our way in order to attempt to get us to turn our backs on God, to attempt us to get distracted or discouraged so we don't finish our assignment. So those are all ways that we can experience trials. But then there's another reason that's much harder to wrap our minds around. At times, God orchestrates trials in our lives to accomplish his purposes. Now, before I lose any of you, I want to just say that I hope that you will listen to the end of the podcast because this is a harsh statement that is, again, kind of hard to wrap ourselves around. How can such a loving God, a God that loves us, how can he allow things that are 
hard into our lives, but there's actually a very good reason he does. And we can actually be very encouraged by the fact that he allows trials. And you may be struggling to understand that or think that as you're listening, but I want to point us to some truth from scripture. And again, I'm going to point out some reasons that even in the midst of difficulties in situations where God may be turning up the heat in our lives, and it's very uncomfortable that we can actually be encouraged by those seasons. First Peter one, six and seven says in all of this, you greatly rejoice that though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So here in this passage, it's it's talking about how we can rejoice in trials. And we might be shocked again at this idea of it telling us to rejoice in trials. But when we look, when we look at what the passage says regarding the reasons behind what God allows, we can begin to understand why God allows what he does and even how we can rejoice in our trials, whether big or small. The first idea I want to draw from this passage is a posture of joy in our trials helps us experience joy. The verse tells us to rejoice. Other verses such as 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Philippians 4, 4, it says the same idea, this idea of rejoice, no matter what we're going through. And the writer of this particular passage was Peter, and he knew his audience at the time, they were suffering, they were scattered um, in different places, and they were suffering persecution. And he knew when writing this, most likely that they were going to be focusing on their hardships, as most of us do when we're suffering, right? And that they may even be drawn into a negative mindset as a result. Rejoicing our trials what he's advocating doesn't mean he wasn't telling them, forget the pain that you have, forget the struggle you're going through. He wasn't telling them to do that. He was just telling them that joy was still possible in the midst of their suffering. And many of us, we're looking for our situation to go away. We're looking for a removal of our suffering in order to feel joy. We're, we're thinking that joy and sorrow can't exist together. However, Peter's telling us in this passage that we can still experience joy in the middle of our hard situations. And we do this by choosing to rejoice in the darkest of nights, not pretending our pain doesn't exist or waiting for it to pass. Instead, we choose not merely to focus on what's wrong, but focus on what is right and good. And what he tells us about what's right and good that we can focus on, even if nothing else comes to mind, I know that even in my toughest times, I can still list some things in my life that are really, really good. I, you know, I could say, okay, I like this about my life right now, or I like this element, or I'm thankful that I have a house, or I'm thankful that I have a car that runs. I may not like this certain aspect, but I do like this. But even if there's literally nothing that we can think of to be thankful, it tells us in the passage one major reason that we can always find a reason to rejoice. It says, in all this, you greatly rejoice. If we look at what Peter says previously, Peter talks about this inheritance we have as believers that is never going to fade away. The fact that our bodies are one day going to, we're, we're going to be in heaven and we're not going to suffer any more diseases. That the rewards that we're going to um, receive for the things that we accomplish on earth can never be taken away, that we have this inheritance to look forward to 
that despite what is happening to us here, we can always rejoice in what God has done for us and what we have awaiting for us that lies ahead. So Peter's not acknowledging or advocating that we don't feel our pain. We don't, we don't acknowledge it. We try to ignore it. He's not saying that, but he's just advocating, rejoicing, knowing that such a change in perspective is going to help us feel joy. Um, it's going to help us experience that even when we're suffering. Alexander McLaren, he was a minister and I believe in the 1800s calls this cultivating joy and refers to it as a roundabout way we can encourage ourselves. He says this, a man traveling in a railway train can choose which side of the carriage he will look at. The one where the sunshine is falling full on the front of each glass, grass blade and tree or the side where it is the shadowed side of each that is turned to him. If he will look out the one window, he will see everything verdant and bright. And if he will look out the other, there will be a certain sobriety and dullness over the landscape. You can settle which window you're going to look out at. So what he's saying is choosing what we focus on our lives will have a direct effect on our feelings. We don't, you know, we don't have to fake joy. We don't have to pretend like our pain isn't there. That would be dishonest and and. And frankly, that would be really insensitive advice to give someone, especially suffering terribly by being persecuted or maybe suffering some loss or or just terrible life circumstances. But he's saying, when we focus on the good God has done for us and rejoice in that, the feelings of joy will follow. The second idea I want to bring that Peter brings out in this passage is that another reason we can rejoice when God allows what he does or even... um, is even sending trials our way is that trials prove the genuineness of our faith. When we say something is proven, we mean that it demonstrates a particular quality through evidence. So for instance, if we say a political candidate, he has a proven track record of honesty, or maybe that candidate even says, hey, I have a proven track record of trustworthiness or whatever. What that person is saying is that that person has specific examples in his past that he can point to where he's shown his trustworthiness or his honesty. And so he has specific examples over a span of time. Similarly, a company can say something about a product like this product is proven to remove stains or this product is proven to make your teeth look whiter or this product is proven to freshen your carpet. Whatever the case, whatever the claim is, if they're saying it's proven, then that product has gone through some kind of test to be able to make that claim. Maybe it's gone through some kind of research test where, you know, it's shown to remove this many amount of stains or whatever the case, it's it's able to point to examples where it has done what it has claimed. And similarly, God tests the genuineness of our faith through trials, a faith not tested is a faith that is not genuine if it hasn't been given the opportunity to show what it claims. I love what theologian Albert Barnes says on this. He says, religion claims to be of more value to man of anything else. It asserts its power to do that for the intellect and the heart, which nothing else can do to give support, which nothing else can in the bed of death. It is very desirable, therefore, that in these various situations, it should show its power. That is, that its friends should be in these various conditions in order that they may illustrate the true value of religion. Now, when he's saying religion, of course, he's talking about Christian faith. He's not talking about any religion. Basically, what he's saying is that it's only in adverse situations that 
the strength of their faith can rise to the occasion, that it can prove that it can handle anything. And one of the ideas I was looking at when I was researching and putting together ideas for this article, and I can't remember who said this, but one of the things that was talking about was just that our Christian faith, that our faith can hold up under whatever is sent our way, that it's, it's, it can bear up under it because it's, it is strong enough that our faith has such value that it can stand up to loss and to grief and to disappointment, that there is provision given with, within God's word and in his presence within us that can stand up to any circumstance we face. And so it's true, you know, none of us want to go through those very hard times, but the trials that we are experiencing are those that prove our faith. My brother-in-law, he now is a teacher, but before he was a teacher, he was in the Navy and he was in the Navy for six years. And when he got out, he wasn't sure exactly what he wanted to do. So he joined the reserves. And one of the things that he found a little disappointing about his particular reserve unit, and this may not be true of all units, but with his, he was a little disappointed because the, I don't know what you would call them exactly, but the superiors or his officers They were teaching about being at sea and many of them had never been at sea. They had, they simply had read about different scenarios in military textbooks and things like that. And my brother-in-law had actually been out to sea. So he was having kind of a difficult time taking these teachings from those who really hadn't had the same experiences. And I just thought of that example when I was putting this together because, again, as Christians, we're not meant to just observe from the shore. We're meant out to be on the open sea, that that we are meant to have a faith that is vibrant, that is real, and it can only be real if it's actually lived out. And so while we may not love the trials that come in our lives, we can be encouraged and embrace what comes our way knowing that a faith that is not tested is no faith at all. The third point I want to draw from this passage is that trials purify our faith. So not only do trials prove our faith, they purify our faith and bring to the surface impurities that exist. In the passage, Peter compares the process of our faith being tested or tried with the process of refining gold. He stresses that gold, although valuable, will perish, whereas our faith will not. Before gold can be fashioned into jewelry or any other object, it must first be purified. So before, you know, before gold becomes and is fashioned into a ring or a bracelet or whatever, it has to go through a process. It's not that it's just found in the condition it's in. It actually has to go through a fire and the refiner removes the impurities. Nowadays, I think there's also a chemical process, but back in biblical times, gold would have to go through a fire and a refiner would put the gold in a crucible, would put it in a very hot fire. And as the fire would heat up the gold, impurities would come to the surface and the refiner would scrape off the impurities and then put it back in the fire. More impurities would come to the surface. He would scrape those off and the process would be repeated and continued until the metal was shiny and the refiner could see his reflection. 
So we may not even be aware of what impurities exist in our lives until God plunges us into the fire and the heat exposes what he wants to remove. The end goal is to mold us into the character of Christ, but the process is painful. We scream and protest, forgetting that God has a beautiful end goal in mind for us. And while we may only feel the pain of the flames, he is perfecting us through the process. The result of us going through our trials will be that resemble, we resemble more and more of the qualities of Christ. And there's a couple interesting things that I could say about this, but we don't go through trials because God wants to see what's in us. He already knows. But one theologian I was reading was saying to this point that we go through fires so that God can reveal to us, not only to remove the impurities, but he has to reveal to us in that process what we're even dealing with because a lot of times we don't know. And so for those impurities to be removed, he reveals to us in different situations what impurities exist in our lives so that, again, it's kind of a process where we're working with God to remove those. And the process, it does feel cruel, but it is necessary. I was reading a blog post on this this verse and, again, just kind of collecting information. And one of the points that the a blogger I was reading brought up about this idea of breaking down, you know, being broken down or being um, God turning up the heat in our lives. One of the things that they brought about an example was that athletes building muscle actually do so through a breaking down process. So the muscle is subjected to stress in when it, you know, you lift weights and as you lift weights, and it's subjected to more and more stress, the muscle will actually suffer from little macro tears and break down. And then in the resting period between when you're lifting weights, it actually builds itself up to become stronger. And that's the pain you're feeling when muscles are sore is the little macro tears. But the muscle will enlarge itself in order to handle the stress of the weight. So in order to continually build muscle, someone lifting weights has to continually increase the stress placed on the muscle. And they do this by increasing the weight or increasing the repetition of the weights or doing different exercises. And similarly, through our many trials, we may feel very uncomfortable and very broken and weak while going through the difficulties we are. And we may be screaming, thinking, God, this is so cruel. But again, it's by those little macro tears that Again, it's we're being enlarged through those things that are tearing us and feel like they're just tearing us down. In my own life, I can just tell you that God has been working on me as far as tearing away that need or that desire I have. Now, I don't want to say need, but the desire I have to be comfortable, to not stand out, to to not disappoint or to not look weird in any way. And he's just making me bolder. And the process has been very painful lately, whereas it used to be that sometimes I would go out in public to run errands or go to the grocery store, go to a restaurant or go to a doctor's appointment. And it used to be that, you know, I might hear a a little nudge to pray for someone or witness, and that would be the end of the assignment. I would just step out, do it, done. But now it's more a multi-step. Often God will just, I'll be leaving the doctor's office and I'll be in the parking lot and I'll just hear this nudge that's undeniable, go back. And it's very awkward because I've already stepped out 
and done whatever God has asked. And then there's more to tell the person or I won't even know. Sometimes I'll hear a go back and then there'll be another person he'll put in my path that I'll feel that I have to talk to. And those are not easy because it's already such a huge hurdle to just step out in faith and do the first thing to do the witnessing or praying for someone. And that is emotionally very taxing as for me personally, just to, to be bold and do that. And then often I just want to, I need, you know, this, I just want to escape and, and just kind of take a deep breath after doing whatever it is. And often I have things that I want to get to at home and I just feel that go back and it's tough because I, I struggle and it's, it's irritating. And I feel like people are going to look at me coming back a second or sometimes third time. I feel like people are going to look at me like I'm unbalanced. I'm weird. I'm irritating them. Whatever the case, it's, it's, it's kind of humiliating. And it's just that fight inside to do God's will when it's not comfortable. And it literally feels like he's just taking a sledgehammer to the inside of me. And I feel just completely undone. In some of those moments where I don't even feel like I'm like, how long is this going to go on? Lord, are we going on all afternoon? Like, am I actually going to be able to leave from this place? You know, it's just a tension there. And maybe there's something in your life that is just relentless at this moment. And God keeps sending these tests and you want them to go away. But you're struggling because you also want to be obedient. So sometimes that tension can exist. On my way home the other night, I just want to conclude by saying, I was listening to a Christian program. And of course, I heard this actually when I was, I had gone to Starbucks to finish putting some notes together for this message. This was one that just, it it just took a lot of notes to kind of come together. And I was struggling with different parts of this verse to understand, you know, what does it mean proven genuineness? And what what does this mean? And just trying to put all the pieces together. And I love how God will just help me. Because I just pray through the process, like, Lord, help me to understand because I don't understand. You know, I can read a lot of commentary. I can do a lot of things to help, but it, God has to make a verse come alive before I can really understand it. And so I was listening to this Christian program on the way home and this speaker of the program was talking about how the feeling of joy and the practice of joy are two different things. And I just love how this just echoed what I was already reading about in, in this verse. And I love how God just puts those little breadcrumbs for me to kind of reassure me of the different truths that he's trying to teach. But I was struck when I listened to that by the definition, because I often read verses such as first Peter here and think, you know, what's wrong with me? Like I should be feeling more joy in this trial, but that's not what Peter's saying. He's saying we may feel great sorrow, and we shouldn't feel ashamed of that by saying rejoice like he is in First Peter. He's not saying feel ashamed for feeling bad about your situation or for being sorrowful. He's not saying pretend happiness, but he's saying practicing joy by rejoicing, focusing on what God has done for us, our inheritance that waits in heaven, the good he's doing in our life, the things we can be thankful for now. Those feelings of joy will come even in the midst of it at the same time as feelings of sorrow. So what can we practice in regards to joy? Again, according to Peter, we can focus on what lies ahead for us because of Jesus' work on the cross and what our trials are accomplishing. Again, they're refining us. They are proving our faith. They are making us better. They are making us stronger. And most of all, we can reconcile how a loving father 
can be behind those not so great times when he allows circumstances we wouldn't choose for ourselves. I love how this verse just illuminates for me because when we're we're walking through situations that do not feel great, then we can begin to question the goodness of God because he has allowed it. And we think, wow, a good God orchestrates trials. But when we understand what his end goal is, again, we see the loving God that we truly have. God is good. He wants good things for us, but the good things may come through things that don't feel good. And for many of us, it's that sticking point of this doesn't feel good. So God must not be good. But that is a, but the reality is that God is good and he wants good things for us, but they don't always go come through good things. That reality helps us make sense of our pain and find hope and encouragement despite what we face. To close, I just want to read to you from, again, Alexander McLaren. He was a minister and I love just how he explains certain verses and they really come alive. But this is what he says. As long as I look at my sorrows, mainly in regard to their power to sadden me, I have not got to the right point of view for them. They are meant to sadden me. They are meant to pain. They are meant to bring the tears. They are meant to weigh down the heart and press down the spirits. But what for? To test what I am made of and by testing to bring out and strengthen what is good and to cast out and destroy what is evil. We shall not, never understand the mystery of pain until we come to understand its main purpose is to help in making character. And when you think of your sorrows as bettering you and building up your character, it is more possible to blend the sorrow that they produce with the joy to which they may lead. So they are not only to be felt, not only to be wept over, not only to make us sad, but they are to be accepted and used as means by which we may be perfect. And once you get occupied in trying to get all the good that is in out of grief, is it out of grief, you will be astonished to find how the bitterness that was in it was diminished. So I love what he's saying is that He's, he's not being trying to be callous or say, you can't be sad or you can't grieve over this situation. But he's saying, when we look at how much good can come out of our situations and understand what good it's doing for us, it takes the bitterness out of it. We can just rest. We can accept what God has sent and say, Lord, I don't like it, but I accept it because you're sending it my way because you want me to walk through it and because you have good in store for me. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Lord, many of us are walking through situations that we would not have chosen for ourselves. We may not understand what you're doing. We may be in darkness all around and we want to understand. We want to know and you may have not even given us the answers yet. Lord, help us to put into practice what this verse says, to practice joy, to rejoice, to look at the good that you've done in sending your Savior and looking at the inheritance that awaits us in heaven and looking at the blessings you've put in our lives. And in doing so, Lord, we can practice joy. Even if we don't feel it in the moment, we can practice it in our situation. And those feelings will come even in the midst of great suffering. When we simply accept what you have sent in our way, knowing that, Lord, you're doing amazing things. You have an end goal that is good for us, but it may require walking through things that really don't feel good. The psalmist described it as the, the valley of the shadow of death. We may be there right now, but Lord, you're going to bring us out and there's a purpose and a plan you have for us. Help us to rest in that. Help us to get through it and help us to put into practice what Peter says here and rejoice knowing that our trials are doing such good things for us and that you have such great plans for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus name. Amen.